Okay, we're going to start with a nice word on Parshas Tetzava. A word from the other Shemayim, Remayel Lapta, who's a Talmud from the Rebbe Philoblin. So he brings a word that he talked heard from the Rebbe Philoblin, the Choyzer, in the name of Heidegger Rebbe Zisha. Revi'a Yiyakofu. Right, we're talking about the the Choyzer. Revi'a Yiyakofu. She'ikrili as shufu ba'ainav. The main thing is a person should be humble, a person should be consider himself to be small, the more a person um, doesn't think too highly of himself, the more the more ba'anova that he is, and he urevloi. I guarantee him he won't fool himself. You know, you could think usually today people are used to the urevloi, right? What's what's the guarantee? You say you say ashutzayin aseder on the urevloi, right? Sidereyom, but can't he won't need a doctor? People like an urevloi when it comes to panusa, when it comes to things like gazin panusa, nachas obviously. But you know, the other shemayim is telling us that if you want to guarantee to not fool yourself. Okay, and that seems like something that that he he believed people would be very interested in the guarantee. He says, I, I guarantee you that if you're going to be a shuffle by Einov, then you won't fool yourself. This is the right way to serve Hashem. See, so Titus, um, Revia, Revia is Mamas of Midzakatnas, and solution ribbits. If it's going to be Kufl and Kipl, if the amount that you, the amount that a person thinks little of himself will be doubled, Okay, so the via year kofu, you want to hold, you want to think, uh, hold yourself very, very humble, very small, and you know when it comes to dealing with people, when it comes to shulam bias, when it comes to dealing with other people, that's where it's very tricky because a lot of times, you know, people already think this is a famous uh, story. I think they say from Rabbi Yonason, he saw somebody crying and saying, "Enough the koltia." He was crying, "B'shefer, I want to be like nothing. I want to be like Ofer the koltia." And then later, the gabba didn't give him the aliyah that he wanted, and he got all angry at the gabba. How could you? And you know who I am? He said, "I don't understand. Didn't you just say?" So the famous answer was that he said, yeah, that's between me and Hashem, but you know, for this Meshagin, I'm, I'm nothing. And that's what happens often. People are, people are ready to think um, little of themselves and, 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 you know, be self-critical even and understand all the shortcomings. But when it comes to someone else, oh, that's a different story. You know, you're, you're not going to tell me that, that I'm small. I'll tell myself that I'm small, but I don't want to hear it from you. Or I could notice my own mistakes. But if it has to do with you, and you think I'm making a mistake, or it's between me and you, and one of us is making a mistake, then already I think it's really someone else's. And that's very typical. That's, that's very typical for people to, to be able to not you see things clearly when it comes to someone else. And that's, that's what happens. We justify and we're biased and all that. And, you know, the first thing is that if a person works on Leah Shufel Ba'inov, a person works on being able to not think so much of himself, automatically he's, he's less uh, able to fool himself. And he would have, he has a guarantee from the Rebzisha that he won't fool himself. So that's definitely something. If you want to get along with other people and you could try to, you know, be a little more Shufel Ba'inov, that's definitely a good Sigila. But I think that another important thing is that even if a person didn't get there yet, or a person still does think highly of himself, like many of us do, and it's very hard to not, uh, you know, have that kind of nagia and that attitude when it comes to ourselves. But I think that at least when you know that the objective is shliyita is atma, you don't want to fool yourself. So sometimes what happens is, even if you're seeing a situation, and it seems to you that you must be right, the other person must be wrong. And that's how it seems to you. Because you didn't uh, reach the madraiga of noticing sometimes that, that maybe, maybe you're at fault. But at least you could ask someone else. And that's what happens sometimes when a person is ready to ask someone else. Automatically, it just makes things easier because... You know, I, I understand that I'm subjective. I understand when it comes to myself, I'm seeing, seeing, I'm seeing things a certain way. And if I trust you and I trust someone else, and I trust a, a, you know, somebody with a more objective uh, perspective, and, and I'm not going to challenge them and say, why, but you don't understand. I'm going to say, listen, you know, if that's how you see it, then maybe there's some truth to it. And that's also something that could, that could, um, that could help people uh, see things clearly.
very often. So, you know, that's just some, some food for thought. Okay, it's not a question that being humble and, and, and humility is, is a hard thing to work on. And, uh, yeah, sometimes uh, in the famous joke of the, of the chusen, the person who was getting a, a, um, a shidduch suggestion from a shatchan, and, and told the shat, and, and the shatchan was throwing up something, and he said, you know, somebody with, with my quality, somebody with my uh, talents and capabilities, you, you're giving me this shidduch, what's what with you? So the shatchan said, you know, I want to tell you something, I think that you're really very full of yourself. And you have to work on yourself. And if you're going to be a, a little more humble, then maybe it will be easy for you to do a shidduch. Okay? So you heard the advice. And he works on it. So he comes back a few months later. He says, okay, I'm more humble now. What's my shidduch? And let me hear. Let me hear something. And the shatchan suggests the same, the same shidduch all over again. He said, I understand. Before I became a unav, uh, it wasn't good for me. Now that, now that I have that quality as well, it's going to be good for me. So, yeah, very funny joke. But the point is that sometimes when people you know, don't know how to see past themselves and see, people don't know how to realize you know that sometimes it's not, it's not always the way they see it and sometimes someone else also has a perspective and just something to think about so we're going to try to work on the Raviyah and be able to get along with other people better and, and the truth is that getting along with other people just by the way I just want to mention one more point it's not just that when you think less of yourself automatically you don't blame other people and now it's easy to get along with them it happens to be that people will enjoy getting along more with somebody who thinks less of himself. And there's something you see, it's so much easier to be near someone in the company of someone, spending time with someone, or in a relationship with someone who doesn't think so much of himself. So what happens is the person who thinks highly of himself has a double disadvantage. First of all, when something happens, automatically you're going to be blaming other people and it's going to be harder to get along with them. And secondly, people don't like being around somebody who's so arrogant and, and so full of himself and, and just one-track minded and everything has to be the way he said. Anyway, enough said about that. Maybe not enough, but uh, let's, let's move on to a question over here that somebody sent in. This maybe should have really been addressed. I actually came in a while back. Uh, maybe it should have been addressed more in the feedback uh, share that I gave in Pashmash Putam, because it is a little bit feedback, but I, I, you know, I, I wanted to just um, talk about it once more. It's already about a year. I think it's about a year. The, the question is referring to a class, I think that was last year, Trima. So you're talking about almost a full year already. Uh, so it's always good to repeat uh, different things that, that, that could be repeated. So let's you know, go for it. Okay, Rabbi Gruen. I listened to your class titled, How Do I Get Past Resentment to My Mother-in-Law? I found it insightful. I hope you can take the topic to the next level to help me out. First of all, my mother-in-law's interference had, has had lasting effects. For example, she pressured us to name a child a name I dislike very much after a relative of hers. This is not a strong meaning in our family, but something she wanted. I guess what, what this question means to say is that it's not, you know, this big kapayda that everyone's careful to Dafka give this name or that name, but this is what she wanted to do. Um, it's been many years, but it still bothers me that my child has a name that I strongly dislike, and I feel resentment daily because now we are stuck with the name. Okay, second of all, you discussed behaving differently, even if it's interesting. I mean, just last night I was talking to somebody, and I had the, the copy of this question in my pocket, and I asked him about his child, what's his name? And he started rolling his eyes. I said, well, well, I didn't hear anything. He said, no, his name was a story about it of its own. My, my grandfather had a dream. He told me what to name my child and things like that. So it was just interesting. I, I had this in my pocket. I showed him, you know, this is, this is more common than you think. And I, I don't think we spoke about it too many times, but when it comes to Shver, Shviger, Baba Zayd, and it comes to names, I know that this is, this is definitely an issue. Um, okay, so let me just move on. Second of all, you discuss behaving differently even if you don't feel I am passing negative feelings. Okay, I guess in that class we were talking about that even if you're feeling resentful, there's, there's a way to do things even if you're not feeling up to it. Um, the problem is that I'm so resentful to her that any interaction with her, such as calling her to say hello, makes me so upset that for some, that for some time afterwards I have a hard time being a pleasant person for my husband and children and anyone else I'm interacting with. 
Okay, so this resentment is so strong, not only is it towards my mother-in-law, but it's actually affecting me in all my relationships. Thirdly, my mother-in-law continues to interfere in our lives, but my husband feels we should leave things as is. So it looks like I have to learn how to live with this in my life and in our home. I hope you can help. Thank you. Okay. So, the question, the question basically is, I heard your class on how do I get over resentment to my mother-in-law, right? And whoever wants to listen to it, it's still available on Torian time, and I'm a hotline. And, um, you know, it's nice ideas, and I wish I could do it, but I, 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 I can't. My resentment is so strong, and, and the, you know, the, the challenges that this relationship brought about is just too much. So it just reminds me of a joke, and I don't want to sound uh, cynical, but it reminds me of the joke of a person who was complaining about something that was happening, and it was a very terrible situation. And the guy listening says, you know, that's, that's, that's terrible, that's terrible, but it's not the worst thing. So really, what's the worst thing? And the worst thing would have been if it happened to me. You know? so, and that's how people see problems. You know, sometimes you read about a situation, or you hear a share, a question, and you read an article, and it's beautiful advice, uh, until the day it hits you, and now you're like, yeah, I saw those answers, but what do I do now? What do you mean now? now? Now that it hit me, what do I do? In other words, nothing really changed. I mean, if, well, if you can take the time to listen to the shear that's being mentioned over here, Oh, that was what it is. There's a lot of resentment toward the mother-in-law. So what are you really saying? In other words, that, that, you know, in this case, it's just so much. I, I understand that the, the person I was talking about then, you know, that person's resentment to her or his mother-in-law obviously didn't bother you as much as your own. But sometimes it's just, it's just um, something to think about. There might not be so much to add as much as, you know, logically it made sense. But when you're feeling it emotionally, that's, that's where you just get stuck all over again. And sometimes you will have to just try to get over the emotions and, and tune into the logic. I know that for some people it's very difficult. It's very difficult, but there might not be any magic. There might not be any magic. Now, uh, before, before I go further, being that we mentioned something about getting names and, and um, family politics and, and resentments, every, everybody, and that's something I talk about so often when it comes to strong bias and anything, you have to have a roof and you have to have a murder and you have to have someone you speak to. Just recently I was talking to someone about a shidduch, and there was a certain reason why they didn't want to do that shidduch based on certain kabulas and certain chimras that, that people have to not do certain shidduch and for whatever reasons. And I asked the person, would you discuss it with your roof? Would you discuss this with your roof? No, I don't want to discuss it. Me and my wife, we don't like... Us Eden, we have, we have Das Torah, and we have Rabunam, and we have murder and we should have, and if you don't have that... It's always going to get in your way when it comes to relationships because automatically you want someone to call the shots. And yeah, I mean, everything should be decided by a dastor. Now, okay, if somebody wants, they don't have to. They can decide where they want to live or they can decide whatever they want without discussing with anyone. They can decide what kind of shit they want to do. But in general, having someone you could ask and know, am I doing the right thing or not, is, is the first thing you need. So when somebody's, when somebody's um, um, giving input, let's call it, right? I don't want to call it controlling. When somebody's giving input about what time, it, what, what name to give your child, and you really don't like it, and you want to do the right thing, and you're not sure what to do, talk, discuss it with somebody. Discuss it with somebody. I was just recently involved in a situation, also very similar, but somebody was giving a name, and this one didn't like it because it was similar to some, a different name in the family. It was Mama's the same name, and, and adding a name was, was another problem. Going to a roof, going to whatever, knowing what the right thing to do is, just makes everyone happier. Doesn't mean everyone's going to be happy with your decision, but it's just a certain clarity that we all need. So I'm just mentioning it again. You know, it, it might be wrong to let someone control you and tell you what type of name to give your child, and it might be wrong to, you know, to actions and, and not do it. So you know, why don't you just do the right thing and feel comfortable and know that I did the right thing? And even if I don't like the decision, but the fact that I know I did the right thing is is, is also very very helpful. Now, after the fact, after the fact, you gave a name, you gave a name, and you really don't like it, and it's already a few years later, right? And you have a little daughter named. Surala, and you can't stand it, okay? This is so typical, where people talk about situations that they feel, okay? I'm not saying that there's nothing you can do about it. I'm talking about when somebody feels there's nothing I can do about it. In other words, I bought a house in this neighborhood, my husband wanted it, and I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Okay, is there something to do about it? No, I can't stand it. I just don't like it. 
if you decided that there's nothing to do about it, and sometimes it's true that there's nothing to do about it, then you have to move on. And I know it's easy to say move on, right? I can't, I can't move on. I know you can't move on. But the fact that you acknowledge that the problem you're dealing with is somewhat unsolvable, there's not much you can do about it, that just goes to show and that just goes to define how wrong it is to talk about this problem and harp on it. Now, we're going to talk about you know, the fact that emotions are real. I don't mean to disqualify them. I'm saying the fact that you're turning to me for advice about something that can't be fixed. I mean, you're trying, you're trying to fix something that can't be fixed. It comes a point where people are going to have to realize, and people do have to realize, and sometimes people don't realize, unfortunately, that this can be fixed. You can't change history. You can't change things that happen. You could change the after effects. You could change certain things that are still changeable. But by the time you decide that something is not changeable, then you have to move on. Now, there are real tragedies in life. Rechmon is something we never know from, right? People, you, people lose family members. Man, that's just the way of the world. It should never be before 120 years old, right? There's, there's a virus, there's a shloshim, there's eat by Swedish. And then there comes a point where Chazal teaches us, stop crying. But I'm still very sad. I know you're very sad. But you can't change what happened. Now, for some people it's easier, for some people it's harder. I don't mean to make believe that just because I'm saying it makes it easy. For some people, they just move on. They're more tech, technical and practical and more uh, connected with the future and not with the past. Some people are more stuck in the past. But the idea that if you can't do something about it, you can't sit there because nothing to do. By sitting there, you're just causing yourself a problem. Now, when it comes to resentments, it's also the same thing. It's like what's the famous quote, like swallowing a poison and hoping another person will die. You're eating yourself up alive about something that can't be changed now. When it's only a relationship issue with a mother-in-law, you can learn how to get by resentment because the relationship could change. When you gave a name, and that name is not changing, and that's the name, being resentful about the name and thinking about how much you dislike that grandmother that your child is named after, that's a problem. So if you decided, and you see it as an issue that can't be resolved, because I don't like that grandmother, I don't like this name, and you're still going to repeat it and harp on it and, and pull yourself into it and get yourself worked up about it. Every time you call your child, Surla, come here, Surla, go there. And I'm not going to call a Surla anymore. I'm saying, Mama, Shefla, because I'm trying to avoid the name. Then, then you, you, you're getting yourself more and more stuck. Now, like I said, it's not easy. We have to know where you're trying to get. You want to get past something that cannot be changed. And like the serenity prayer goes, you want the wisdom to know, to be able to differentiate what could be changed and what can't be changed. And the things that could be changed, you want to know how to change them. The things that can't be changed, you want to learn how to accept. And say, Hashem, this is not what I wanted. Please help me accept it. I, one of the ways might be by stopping to complain about it. I, I, I undertake for the next six months, I won't mention it. I won't, I'll try not to think about it. I'll distract myself. Maybe there are ways. But just understanding that something can't be fixed and it's a reason to move on, that's, that's, that's tremendous. I mean, crying over uh, spilled milk and, and, and just sitting in it is, is, is not good. It's not, it's not a question. It's not good. Now, some people say it in a very dismissive way, like, oh, come on, grow up, grow up, what's with you? you know, and some people listening to the shame might also say that, okay, so it's Surda, so it's Yankla, who cares? Saying grow up sounds like it disqualifies the fact that it's a lot of bother you. It is a lot of bother you. Everything's a lot of bother you. But being overtaken by something bothering you and sitting in it and not, and not getting over it, that's, that's definitely something... Um, you know, that's, and I'll tell you, very often we look at children, right? You see a child, he, he built something and then he broke it or it fell apart, his toy, and he's crying, right? How do, how do older people look at that sometimes? Like, come on, okay, so it's only a toy, we'll, we'll buy another, we'll build another one. Or initially, you can't, you can't buy another one, so what do I do now? You can't, so let's, let's do something else. Now, to, to think of a child's issue as petty because he's a child and you're an adult is wrong. He's a child, it's allowed to mean a lot to him, right? It's not, but as you get older, you know, we all know the famous story of the Gertzedek from Vilna, um, um, Potatsky, and he was saying before he was killed that, you know, just like in, in this world, when we see a child's toys fall apart, we look at it like it's, it's petty, it's trivial, and, and we don't think of it too much. When we go to the next world, we'll see how this whole world was nothing. And that's why he didn't care to go, Al-Kiddush Hashem. 
So, of course, as parents, we try to understand children. And if it's meaningful to a child that his humantash that he got in school fell down and crumbled, then we try to comfort him. And we don't machavek, even though we know that it's really nothing. We have to understand that sometimes we're too subjective to notice that our own things are also quite petty. But the fact that somebody else would say, grow up, it's just something to think about. It's not nice than anyone to say. And it's not easy to think about it yourself when it's bothering you, like I started off with. You know, this time it's me. But, but it, it's still important to remember that sometimes that's, that's the real answer. Just grow up. It's not so important. It's not as important as you think. And for all you know, in 18 years from now, when you'll do a shidduch, and this surah who you want to name, Bruchala, will be able to do a shidduch, because the mother-in-law named him Bruchala, like we mentioned before about shidduchim, and oh, now we're going to thank Hashem, Siat Shmai, that he gave the name surah, not Bruchala, because that's the shidduch one. We don't know why it's good or when it's good. We believe everything is good, and sometimes you just have to accept things without understanding why. Now, I'll, I'll, just, think, I'll just mention a cute idea, and, and again, if it resonates with, with anyone, and anyone thinks it's cute, it's good. If anyone thinks it's silly, Dismiss. And I'm just trying to be creative. And the, reason, and, and the reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes there are problems, like I said before, where a person feels nothing can be done. And sometimes they think out of the box, you know, I'll come up with an idea. Maybe it's a therapeutic idea. Maybe it's a notish idea. Maybe you'll come up with a better idea. But sometimes you'll, you'll realize that something that looked so unsolvable, you know, maybe. This is a, a cute story of... Um, uh, cute. A story of right? A couple came to me, they were fighting around about the minute they went to eat a Kegel. Right, so again, some people would say it's trivial, but here we are, 200 years later, still saying the story. So you had a couple, and they were, and they, when, when I t- whenever I talk about this, I, I, I always realize, you know, to some people, some things are trivial, and to some people it's not. And, and you can't say what the truth is. There's no ultimate truth about what, what's important and what's not. You know, that we're, in Chazal, that you're supposed to sharpen your knife before Shabbos, right? Yes. So one of the reasons it's brought down is because if your knife is not sharp, they didn't use the knives with the with the with the with the, you know, the what's it called the in the the ones that cut the with the teeth the china a china messer right you have a straight a straight knife you want to cut the challah and you want to and you want to cut the challah nicely I want to make sure it's sharp so one of the reasons it's brought down is because if you don't cut the challah nicely um, it could it could cause a shalom bias issue yeah so it's the brain now some people look at it funny what do you mean you mean silly. You cut, so you cut your challah and it didn't cut well so you had to tear off the piece you give your wife a piece of challah and she's upset and the answer is yeah yeah there are people that are upset about that believe it or not and the person who's upset is not uh, I'm not going to say he's, she, he or she is right for being upset on the other hand I see Chazal were worried that maybe there will be people who will be upset by that they want a piece of challah that's cut nicely I baked challah I put in the effort why are you giving me a piece that's like citizen to flick why couldn't why could you take the few minutes to sharpen your knife at Shabbos well, I mean to say, it's okay. Some people will take something seriously, some people not. You don't want to disqualify someone's feelings. But then if it's you, you want to think about it. You know, maybe I'm just making too big a deal about this. So if my husband should be sharpening his knife, that's, that's his thing. But you should still maybe not be complaining about a piece of challah that wasn't cut so nicely. Okay, so we all have our work to do. I know it's always about what could I do. I can't, instead of saying, well, I know what I could do, I could scream at my husband to sharpen the knife. No, no, no. What could you do to make things better? So if you're the husband, you, you can sharpen your knife because you, your wife um, frowns and, and gets into, and, start, and has a meltdown when she gets a piece of challah that's not nice, she walks away from the table, then you sharpen your knife. And if your husband didn't sharpen your knife and he's giving you a piece of challah that doesn't look so gorgeous, you could just bite into it, eat it up so fast you won't even see it anymore. So anyway, back to my story with Kajas Tamagid. He had a couple that came and they were fighting around. When do we eat the kegel? His minute was to eat it before the chont and her minute was to eat it after the chont and they couldn't make heads and tails out of this. Okay? And it seemed like it was very, very important to them. And they, you know, they must have been very resentful, a lot of hard feelings and they probably would have written an email to somebody asking the question if there was, but in those days they did things differently and they went to Karshat Samagid. So Karshat Samagid said that he has a good idea. They should make two kegel. One will be a Shulam Bayes kegel. Right? Which one? Well, it doesn't matter. Well, to her, the real one is the first one. The second one's a Shulam Bayes Kegel for the sake of peace. And for him, it's the other way around. Shulam Bayes Kegel is before. Beautiful. What it goes to show is it's not, it's not when you eat the Kegel, right? They, they ended up eating the Kegel both. 
It's just how you see it. So, I'll just tell you something I was thinking. I know, I know of Udim Gudu, and sometimes people ask him about names. I want to give a name. I, I don't want to give it a certain name. My, my, my mother-in-law wants me to give the name Surla. Let's give this example over here, right? And it's after her mother. And her mother was a narcissist and a terrible person and, and got divorced six times and, 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 was, and, and died very young, okay? So I don't want to give that name. So some people would say, oh, that's, that's a bad name to stay with. Now you want to stay away from that name. So this Udam Gudu that I'm quoting, without a name, would, uh, tells people, give the name Surda, but instead of giving it after your grandmother, give it after Surya Maini. Who's going to know? Yikura Shmo Yisrael Surah, and you can have in mind that it's after Surya Maini, Yishvig is going to be happy, the Baba and Himmel might also be happy, I don't know if she, cause if she's Yidai, Machshav is there, and you gave a name after Surya Maini. So what's the problem? Right? And when you think about that, I don't know if it's going to work now still, but maybe... Maybe decide that you're giving a new name to your child. Now, you can't change your child's name from Surla to Brukhala, like I said before. But you could give your child a new name. I'm calling her Surla now, after, after Surya Maini. Or after some other Tzadikas, Surya Shanira, whoever you want. And going forward, you'll see it differently. So you'll be eating the same Kegel, the same Chunt, right? Same order, but now it's a Shulun Bayez Kegel. It just, it just changed names, and to you, it, it just feels better. Now, my point is not that I'm trying to play around with your mind. I'm trying to help you see that sometimes the same thing could be viewed differently. And if you could internalize that and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Messiah Das, and I'm not gonna complain about this, and I'm gonna try to see it differently, I'm gonna try to, you know, uh, call her Surah instead of Surah, and I'm gonna try to have a new, a new idea about what I'm, what I'm really calling her. You know, that that might be something that, uh, you know, that that, that you want to do. Now, 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 let's go back and, and talk about the other two questions over here about, you know, I'm feeling very resentful daily, and I don't know what to do with my mother. A lot of this is about you. Now, aside from the fact that I always mention that everything is about you and what you could do, but a lot of it is about you. The fact that you're getting so worked up about something, about, about a relationship, may not be totally the other person's fault. You have, to, you have to acknowledge that. I mean, there's there's a lot you could do and a lot that you should do and a lot that you may be misinterpreting, and it's okay. It's okay, I mean, to say that it's okay to be that way. It's okay to be offended. It's okay to be hurt. But it's still okay to remember that, hey, you, you, might, you might have some work to do. Which is fine. Now, you, the work to do might have to be knowing how to, how to get along with a mother-in-law, how little to be controlled, how much attention to give her, how, how to make her feel welcome and good, which we spoke about a lot of times. But some of it might have to do with calm down. Learn how to calm down. And the reason why I'm mentioning it is because saying that I get so resentful, that I get so upset, and I have a hard time being a pleasant person to my husband and children, you seem to be justifying something that you know it's a problem. I'm not going to be mean to my husband and children, but, but this is the reason. No, it's not a good reason. Sorry, it's not a good reason. Saying that because it's raining, that's why I'm screaming at everyone, you didn't, you didn't justify, you may be rationalizing, right? good word, you may be rationalizing that uh, now it's not as bad because I only do it when it rains, and when it rains I really, I get this arthritis and I can't stand the weather and I don't have boots and I have a hole in my shoes. It's not an answer. It's not acceptable. One, one plus one doesn't equal, it doesn't equal six. You cannot use the rain as an excuse to abuse people around you. And if you're doing that, then it's not the rain, it's you. Now, you might, it might be hard for you, and I don't, I don't mean to, to give misser. And it could be, it could be, you have to do a lot of work on yourself to be able to overcome that. But to look at mother-in-law and say, you know, this mother-in-law, the resentment that she causes me, the problems she causes me, look, look how I'm treating my husband because of her. No, 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 no. You're not treating your husband respectfully. You're not being nice to your children. That's something to work on. That's something to work on. And the fact that there's a mother-in-law involved, that, that also might be something to work on. So it's very important for people to realize that when, when you're doing something wrong, and again, I don't mean this question. I don't know who it is, and I hope nobody's getting offended by what I'm saying now. But I hear, the, I hear people tell me this also in person a lot of times. Yeah, because I don't have a job. I know I scream at my wife a lot, but I'm telling you, it didn't, it didn't happen before I lost my job. I like hearing that, and it's nice that it didn't happen. But please don't think it's okay that because you lost your job, you scream at your wife. It's not okay. And if that's the case, then maybe that's why you lost your job. 
and maybe that's why you're not getting along with your mother-in-law. So there's definitely a lot of introspection and a lot of personal work that people could do and should do, and to make sure that you don't you don't cross red lines that should never be crossed. So it's not a question, and and and, and, and it's good to be self-aware. And I'm impressed that somebody could write and say, you know, I'm not I'm not a pleasant person to my spouse and, and children. It takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of honesty to be able to say that, right? Even if you're saying it anonymously. But, it, you know, it's just admitting it to yourself. But admitting that has to move on to the next thing, like, and what do I do about it? And there are things you can do about it. Now, I'm not going to go into what you can do about it. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of different things you can do about it. There's a lot of different therapies you could try. There's a lot of ways to calm yourself. There's a lot of ways to learn how to deal with, with your mother-in-law better. But in terms of relationships, that shouldn't justify this. And relationships are something you should always be working on and always doing whatever you could do to make sure that, that things are... are Good, and you know, and you don't want to excuse things that aren't excusable. Now, you might want to ask your husband. I'm just throwing a few small ideas. You might want to ask your husband for more validation and more encouragement and more and more support and more space when it comes to his mother and how it works. There's ways to make things work, but don't 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 look at it like a problem that has to be avoided because of everything that's happening because of it. When really it shouldn't be um, acceptable or excusable. Now. Like I, like I keep on saying, learning how to deal with a mother-in-law, it's, it's a sigia. It's a sigia. And I'm not saying every mother-in-law. There, there's a stereotype about the mother-in-law, and, so, and often it's true. Sometimes people could accept their own parents, even when they're negative or controlling, but when it comes to, to your spouse's parents, it's already a different thing. But then you have to know how to deal with it. Like I said, sometimes giving her enough attention and, and enough good feeling and learning how to put boundaries in a very healthy and respectful way and then keep on giving the attention and then keep on holding to the boundaries. There's a way to make things work. And, and running away from a relationship or trying to get your husband to understand that you just can't deal with his mother, it's usually not the way to do things. So when you do things in a healthy way, usually these kind of build-ups don't happen. You have to remember, it's his mother, and that's what people... You know, I know it's only your shviger. Shviger, shviger. It's only your shviger, but it's your spouse's mother. And, you, and, and, and aside from all that kurasatav that you probably owe her, right? the very fact that for someone else who you're married to, this is a mother and not a mother-in-law, that's just a reason for you to have to take that very seriously. The person that you're indebted to and committed to has a cheshmer with their parent that you don't want to make believe it's nothing just because to you it's an in-law. So that's, that's definitely something... So it's not a question. You don't want a mother-in-law who's controlling your life and you should learn how to deal with that. But you also don't want to control your spouse's life. Okay, so if you're controlling your husband and how much he interacts with his mother or how much he lets his mother have some kind of say or input or something you know, in, 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 in your home, not control, but just the amount... Then, then technically you're controlling so you have to remember that. Now, no, but it's me and him, and this is marriage. And I know your mother-in-law has what to work on as well. It's not a question. If she's hearing this, then I'm going to recommend her that she should please listen to other classes I gave about how to deal with married children. Okay, not a question. But remember that, that playing this tug-of-war over your husband and saying, his mother's controlling him, I want him to do what I want, you're also controlling him. And remember, you might end up doing that to your married children as well. So, you know, there's, there's something to think about. So just to sum it up, okay, people have a lot of personal work to do. Right, like we started off with, with the Shemayim. You want to be humble in relationships, and you want to not fool yourself. And Baruch Hashem, this person doesn't seem to be fooling herself. But there's a lot of work you could do. So when it comes to an issue of control, and somebody wants you to give a name, and you want to know if it's right or wrong, and your mother wants to come for Pesach, or she's telling you to come for Pesach, and you want to know if you should or shouldn't, and you talk to a roof, and you learn how to say it nicely and respectfully, there's a lot of healthy ways to deal with that. But I think you have to cross people off the list. Or you think that because there's old Cheshboinahs that you're allowed to be very resentful about, and it justifies both your, your current state of stuckness because this is what happened and I'm allowed to be stuck especially when I'm left with a name that I can't even change the fact that you can't change is even less reason to be stuck on it and like I said I know it's not easy you could try to do whatever you could to get over that but going forward when you can do things in a healthy way in a balanced way in a respectful way when I yourself you could have a healthy relationship with your mother-in-law which is also a great thing but much more than that you could be pleasant and nice and respectful to your spouse and your kids and we could all live together have a